Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Georgie Pizzetta. He's the director of the Division of Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition. Uh, he's medical director of Pediatric Liver, Liver Care Center. He's also a professor in the UC Department of Pediatrics. So we're going to talk about liver physiology today, and we'll get into the specifics of what uh, Georgie's working on. So thanks for coming, Georgie. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, and it's uh, an honor and privilege to uh, talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. So what, um, I've spoken to people that are doing liver transplants and liver disease. And, you know, what, what aspects of the liver are you focusing on? I study uh, biliary atresia. Biliary atresia is the single most common cause of end-stage liver disease in children. And the number one indication for pediatric liver transplantation uh, anywhere in the world. So what is it again? Biliary, and what's the second word? Atresia, A-T-R-E-S-I-A. It means uh, loss or closure or obstruction of uh, the bile ducts. Uh, This is is, uh, quite unique. It happens at a time when families are enjoying uh, a new baby. Um, it's a very interesting disease, a typical pediatric liver disease, because it only happens in the first three months of life. It starts early on. If a patient is diagnosed with biliary atresia six months of age, it means that it was diagnosed late. So there are some things about this disease that dictate the onset of symptoms early on. So typically, it's a new baby in the family and everybody's enjoying the baby. And then sometime in the first few weeks, uh, perhaps a month, perhaps two months, uh, the parent notices the jaundice, uh, yellow jaundice in the eyes. And then um, the stools become pale. We call acolic stools or stools without oh. color. Okay. And at that time, life changes dramatically because it's um, baby is usually doing well, but it's it's the onset of a, a disease that has devastating consequences to the liver. Do you think that this um, starts happening when the baby is developing in the mother's uterus, or is it are they born with um, malformed or non-completed biliary ducts? Maybe maybe biliary ducts continue to form once the baby is born. I don't know. So the, there is a small number of those patients with biliary atresia that have other congenital malformations. Based on that, there is a, one of the potential etiologies for biliary atresia is that it is indeed a prenatal disease that involves abnormal development of the bile ducts or the biliary system. Most of the patients do not have those 
severe congenital malformations. So until recently, the thought, the prevailing thoughts were that biliary atresia largely results from uh, multifactorial uh, uh, processes that ultimately destroy the developing bile duct. Uh, this is largely based on the postnatal onset of symptoms. Now, interestingly, Richard, uh, the uh, a couple of papers last year and one earlier this year show that if you screen babies' uh, blood for direct bilirubin increase, you see they usually it's it's a very uh, slightly abnormal at birth. And uh, all the babies that later developed biliary atresia, when they were able to go back and look at that uh, blood test that the hospital did routinely for other uh, reasons, uh, that the bilirubin was actually increased. Based on these studies, the current uh, hypothesis of disease is that biliary atresia uh, is a prenatal uh, disease that may relate to abnormal development of the bile ducts uh, prior to birth. So is there any correlation between um, breastfed babies versus formula-fed? Or is it at that point, I mean, once the baby's born, is there anything that can be done to have the baby still have a normal liver, or is it too late in your opinion? So the uh, breastfeeding there is no correlation between breastfeeding or lack of breastfeeding and the incidence of biliary atresia. Now, interestingly enough, breastfeeding is commonly associated with jaundice. So jaundice is a, a, a sign that is commonly present in, new, in newborn babies. But that's a different type of jaundice. It's a physiologic jaundice of breast milk jaundice that gradually improves over time. In biliary atresia, is that jaundice that is uh, persistent and has a specific elevation of a type of bilirubin called the direct or conjugated bilirubin. Now, if the baby with biliary atresia is, is diagnosed early and taken to surgery early, the baby will have a higher likelihood that the surgery will work and the baby will be alive with the native liver at two years of age with chances to grow into later childhood and adolescent and even adult life. So the earlier the diagnosis, more likely it is that the initial surgical treatment will restore flow of bile and uh, slow down the progression of the liver disease. Is it, is it a, a physical malformation of the bile duct or is the is there a disease that even if the bile duct was was perfectly fine it's because this this is a progressive disease that that what closes off the bile duct like what's the mechanism by which there's a problem so it's a combination of something that exists uh, in the bile duct prenatally and then a postnatal exposure to an external uh, environment uh, environmental factor uh, some there are uh, reports in the literature that specific types of viruses are more prevalent in uh, children in babies with biliary atresia. So they include uh, rotavirus, uh, uh, cytomegalovirus, and others. Now, interestingly, uh, we have done studies in which 
if we use rotavirus and we administer rotavirus to newborn mice in the first two days of life, they develop biliary atresia like humans do. So using that experimental model, we have analyzed those uh, bile ducts in neonatal mice soon after the administration of the virus and then followed those bile ducts over time, we can clearly uh, say that there is an initial inflammatory response. In the case of the mice, the inflammatory response is a normal attempt of the mouse to clear the virus, and the mouse does clear the virus. However, because the virus is residing in the epithelium of the neonatal bile duct, the inflammatory response destroys those epithelial cells, make a small inflammatory plug, which stops the flow of bile, and then there is a, 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 an expansion of the inflammatory response that leads to a destruction of the bile ducts. Uh, then it uh, sets in place a progressive response of the liver dance that uh, leads to fibrosis and cirrhosis. What are the current treatments right now to help this uh, disorder? Is it uh, in a liver transplant? Are there medications that will work? I mean, what, what can happen? So the, uh, the current uh, treatment that has proven to be successful is uh, liver transplant, what's called a hepatoporoenterostomy, which is a, a surgical procedure that was designed by a Japanese surgeon called Kasai. Therefore, the surgery is known as the Kasai procedure. So once you are highly suspicious that a baby has biliary atresia, you work with a surgical colleague who takes the baby to the operating room, uh, injects a contrast into the uh, rudimentary uh, gallbladder to see to demonstrate that there is obstruction of the extrahepatic bile duct. The surgeon then removes those biliary remnants. Again, they are fibrotic and destroyed. They then get a loop of the jejunum, which is a part of the small intestine, and then makes an anastomosis right where the bile duct would be leaving uh, the liver, making a direct connection between the hilum of the liver, where the bile ducts used to exit the liver, directly with the small intestine. So any remaining biliary ducts that are small and maybe still residing in the affected liver will make the bile flow directly from the liver into the intestine. So this is, uh, if there is a chance that the baby will survive, the chance comes from the ability of this anastomosis to work. And it does work. Uh, in the United States, there is an average of 50% of the babies that have uh, bile drainage. If there is insufficient bile drainage, the babies uh, remain jaundiced, and then the baby will require liver transplantation in the first uh, one or two years of life. If the babies have uh, biliary drainage after surgery, uh, two-thirds of them will still be alive with the native liver by two years of age, and they, as I said earlier, may uh, have several years with uh, the liver before uh, requiring liver transplantation. Now, there are 
studies that are looking at the effectiveness of medications to start right after that Kasai surgery to uh, further improve bioflow and minimize the fibrosis that, uh, that is gradually uh, progressing, uh, whether the baby has the procedure or not. There are a couple of studies. One is called N-acetylcysteine that has the potential to improve bioflow and actually to decrease the fibrosis uh, in the liver. And then another one that will be studying in a few centers uh, throughout the world, including the United States, is a, a molecule that prevents bile acids from being reabsorbed from the intestine. In that, the idea is the by eliminating, preventing the absorption of bile duct, I'm sorry, of bile acids, the bile acids are eliminated in the stools preventing the liver from the toxic effect of bile ducts that could be normally absorbed. So these are these two upcoming uh, potential strategies that will add additional hope that the babies will do well after that surgery. Well, as of it is right now, um, are you able to help babies that have this condition? Or is it, uh, I mean, what's the success rate right now for the current technology? So with the current technology, we have a success rate of 50% being alive with the native liver at two years of age, and then it gradually decreases uh, over time. But if you combine the initial surgery plus liver transplantation, the baby has an overall survival rate of more than 90% to grow well into adulthood. They have a productive adult life. Now, Rich, there are quite a few exciting things that are also happening. There are two areas of research that are bringing new hope that we will identify ways to actually block that progressive fibrosis and hopefully have the babies live much longer with the native liver. One area of research is studying the microbiome. The microbiome of the neonate depends largely on the maternal microbiome and the maternal diet. And there is some preliminary evidence that depending on the intestinal microbiome of the neonate, the the baby with biliary attrition may have a better outcome. Studies in that neonatal mouse model of biliary atresia shows that the microbiome of the neonate uh, produces some uh, proteins, uh, some uh, metabolites that promote survival of the epithelium of bile ducts. So some of the bacterial products may actually be helpful for the recovery of the bile duct to an uh, an external environmental injury. That's one area of research that uh, we think uh, will uh, open new opportunities for additional medical therapies to protect the biliary system of the babies after Kasai. There is another line of research that is quite exciting and quite novel, uh, and that relates to a technology known as uh, tissue organoids. So the concept uh, came initially from using human pluripotent stem cells, 
specifically the inducible pluripotent stem cells, to actually drive the formation of specific tissues, including the liver. So one can oh, get... So, an, so you're making liver organoids, but are you making... Like what, what part of the liver is where the bile duct is, or are there multiple bile ducts? And are you making an organoid just of the bile duct? Ah, very good question. And the answer is yes. So we modified the technique to actually create human biliary organoids. But we went one step further. What we did was we first asked the question, can you get a biopsy of a normal liver and then see if we can, without any manipulation, simply uh, put small fragments of the liver in a dish, use specific growth factors and see if you could create just a biliary organoid. And the answer was yes. Then we said, can we do the same thing from uh, biopsies of babies with biliary atresia. And again, we modified the protocol and we found that we can generate biliary organoids from babies with biliary atresia. So now what we have is a, uh, a system in the Petri dish that we're trying to model the human uh, disease and studying those biliary organoids to see what actually is happening in the cells of the biliary epithelium? So are the organoids, what, um, I mean, do they have the right morphology or are they just kind of cylindrical blobs of cells? I, I've heard that it's difficult to get organoids to form structures. So uh, the organoids actually are made of these uh, cells that uh, are epithelial cells and a good number of them have features, morphological features of cholangiocytes, which is the name given to the uh, bile duct epithelium. Cholangiocytes, in addition to a typical morphology, also have a cilium. So each cell has one single cilium. We can see all those structures in the biliary organoids from a normal liver. And then we begin to compare what's happening with the normal liver uh, as well as the organoids from babies with biliary atresia. And we began to see that there are some very unique morphological changes, including a decreased number of cells that have those cilium. And even when they have the cilium, it looks like they're not well polarized and uh, do not form a very tight junction between the epithelium. So they appear to, to be leaky, uh, therefore making us uh, begin to build a model in which there is a defective morphogenesis of the bile duct uh, prior to birth. And that includes uh, changes in cell-cell interaction that makes the cells more susceptible to injury. So where do you think is going to be the breakthrough here? Do you think it's, uh, will there be a test, maybe a biomarker test that the mother can take um, that may become standard, or if they suggest that, or if they suspect that there may be liver problems that, uh, you know, prenatally it could be caught, maybe an intervention made, or where do you think the breakthroughs are going to come from? So there will be a couple of breakthroughs coming in, I'll tell you, but some others that already began. Uh, just to finish the promise of these biliary organoids is that uh, since we now have the system, we began to modify the cultural condition of these organoids to see if we could actually promote 
improvement in the epithelial junction and make sure that we would uh, test whether we can recover the cilium of those cells more towards normal. And we have preliminary evidence that if we treat those cells with specific growth factors, that we achieve that. So if those studies are validated, we really can think of a future in which we can, we can treat babies with new growth factors that will, again, protect those, uh, those epithelial cells that remain in the liver. Now, as it relates to biomarker, we uh, did a study a couple of years ago in which we did proteomic analysis of uh, the blood of babies with biliary atresia as well as blood samples from normal age-matched controls. So these are healthy babies of the same age. And then did the same proteomic analysis in babies with other causes of uh, cholestasis or jaundice that were also age-matched. And uh, from about 1,300 proteins, one protein reproducibly identified the babies with biliary atresia. That protein is called matrix metalloproteinase 7 or MMP7. Following the initial publication of that uh, proteomic analysis, we actually validated that in a more quantifiable fashion in a different cohort of age-matched babies and developed this very novel uh, test that you can do now in the clinical arena if you have a baby with biliary atresia, you can order this test. And with that single test, you have a high likelihood to make the diagnosis and very uh, quickly contact the surgical colleague for the right surgical treatment. Now, uh, you can make the diagnosis of biliary atresia without the test. And this is how the field has been. But the, without a biomarker of disease, the test, uh, the testing of the babies with pathologic jaundice take time until you arrive at diagnosis. And uh, it's usually very costly, time-consuming, and requires liver biopsy. Notably, the serum level of MMP7 can really simplify this diagnostic algorithm. So we can see a future in which we could potentially use MMP7 much earlier in life, identify babies before their bile ducts are completely closed, and give those growth factors plus other medical treatments to try to rescue that uh, biliary epithelium and continue the bile flow from the liver to the intestine, thus hopefully treating effectively biliary atresia. If a parent sees that uh, their baby is jaundiced, or if they, they're starting to have certain symptoms, how much time do they have until they need to, uh, to take action to help their baby? Is this like a very fast developing problem? Uh, or is it in the order of weeks or days or hours? Or how fast does, does a baby go downhill? So knowing now that the disease starts right after birth, we can probably say that it takes uh, uh, two to six weeks until the disease, until the bowel duct is destroyed. So there is time. The single most effective approach to make a single, uh, an early diagnosis today is any baby that is jaundiced beyond two weeks of life should have a fractionation of bilirubin. 
So when you tell when you send a, a baby for a bilirubin test, the assays they do two assays. One that measures the total bilirubin, and the second is a direct bilirubin. So the direct is the fraction of the total that exists only after the liver uh, is processing the total bilirubin and getting it ready to be excreted in the bile. So the concept is that if there is improper bile flow, even early on, the direct fraction will rise. So even though the total remains the same, the direct rise, and is this subtle rise that gives us a clue that there is something going on that is much more serious that needs attention. So since jaundice is very common in normal neonates, especially those that are breastfed, and that's the type of jaundice that will improve spontaneously, if the baby, and you cannot differentiate from those that have a more serious illness, we advise that that bilirubin be fractionated at two weeks of life. So, okay, but once it happens, though, um, a parent will have how long till they need to get to a doctor to evaluate what's going on, do you think? Well, the baby uh, should go to the doctor then as soon as possible. And uh, right. most of the times then, at that time, the physician will start that series of tests to see if there's biliary atresia. Those tests take between one and two weeks uh, oh, to wow. come back, and that's when there is that delay. Uh, with the availability of the MMP7 assay, you can quickly shorten that to a couple of days and then quickly uh, engage your surgical colleague to proceed with the treatment. Now, if the treatment is done earlier, as I said early in this uh, conversation, the outcome is much better. In so fact, this is also centers, an area... Yeah, this is also an area where if someone would be able to create a test that gave the results in hours or minutes, that would probably dramatically help these, you know, these babies that have this problem. Absolutely, absolutely. One can either even envision a future in which you can get a, a blood spot of a neonate and just do it as uh, screening all the babies because we know that if we intervene early, there is the best chance for the baby to, uh, to do well. Okay, very good. Well, well Georgie, um, I'm glad you're working on such an important problem. What, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work? So we have, our laboratory has um, a website uh, at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. There is also our publications that are both the original, these original discoveries or reviews. And uh, I think our liver center is well known and often we collaborate with investigators that have access to this information. Very good. Well, Georgie, thank you for coming on the call and I appreciate it. All right. Have a good weekend. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.